Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 293 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I'm so, so glad that you're here with me today as I'm talking to the amazing Sasha Black. She's so cool, y'all. She's so cool. Uh, I talked to her, I guess, for the first time years ago on her show and just fell in love with her. And she's so delightful in every single way. You're going to love the interview. And I don't know if I've ever laughed so hard or so loud on the podcast. So, you know, be careful with your eardrums as uh, that comes up. So that's something for you to look forward to. Um, a gigantic treat. Okay. What else did I want to talk about today? Um, well, I wanted to thank you all very, very much for the beautiful response you gave me in regards, in response to last week's episode where I was just really feeling all the feelings, uh, after I received my revision letter for complete and I'm so grateful for you. And how generously you listened and how kind you were. And I got emails of support and tweets and um, it's just been so nice. And I wanted to update you a little bit. So I got the letter sent me reeling in a way that a revision letter probably hasn't done in a while. This is the first memoir I've written in years and that does have something to do with it. And I was just scared and nervous about getting into it. It turned out though, on the third day, three days after, so 72 hours after I got the letter, I felt the urge. I wanted to sit down with my computer and I actually did it on a, no, I guess it was Saturday afternoon. So it's technically a day of work for me, Um, but I received it on Wednesday. So I had Thursday, Friday, Saturday afternoon is the first time I really wanted to look at that again. And I steeled myself and I got out my tools. And the first thing I did was read through the 19 page revision letter line by line. And I made post-its of every item that she mentioned that I should think about working and working on and fixing. And so by the end of that, I had, you know, 20 or 30 post-its. And then I went into the draft And I looked at every comment again, this time with my eyes open. The first time I had read it, I really had read it with like one eye open, squinting as far away from the screen as I could get. Plus I had been biting that migraine, which made things, uh, made me more um, delicate in a way to handle those kind of things. And I tell you what, the editor had gotten so much smarter in those 72 hours, just like my mom got smarter when, you know, I was 16 years old and suddenly she was, she, I thought she was completely ignorant. And then by 18 and 19, I thought, wow, my mom is really growing up. She's getting smarter. I may have said this last week, uh, but that's what I felt happen. Her comments started to make sense. And I sat down with my own, the, the way I do revision and the way I look at structure and I slotted everything in. And after I think it took just three hours, I had a revision plan for the whole book and it is not that big a deal. It is not that big a deal. The, the big structural problem I had been worried about, she thought was great. The big structural problem she had in mind was actually really minor 
And she, and I think I mentioned that she gave me a great way of fixing it. And it turns out that of over the whole book, there are five chapters that need some, you know, some pretty heavy lifting, but the rest of the chapters, and there are 24 of them are solid. Of, of course, she gives me great ideas of what to do inside them, but they're not moving, shifting, changing on an elemental level. This is a very doable revision and one that I am not scared of and one that I know how to do. And I stood up from my desk that day so grateful that I went in knowing how I personally react to revision letters, which is the way that a lot of writers I know respond to revision letters, which is with a great deal of emotion and um, unease. And I'm here to tell you, 72 hours to a week, I would say that's like an average length of time uh, that the revision letter won't make any sense and you will be, you might be very hurt by it. After that, it starts to get easier. So just knowing that and planning for support, um, putting that support around you when you need it is crucial, is key. And then you get the fun of figuring out how to fix it, how to do these big macro things that your editor will suggest to you that will just make your book, it will bring it from being, as she said, very good to as she wants it to go, as my editor said, she wants it to be to great. And that is what I want it to be. It's very good now. Do I want it to be great? Yes, I do want it to be great. And I'm already into the revision. I have combined three chapters into one for a prologue. I had a, (laughs) don't laugh. I had a prologue and an introduction and then a long first setup chapter. All of those are getting smashed together into a small chapter. So I've already done that. I'm already into the first actual main part of the book. uh, And it's going great. So I wanted to update you on that. Thank you so much for your kindnesses. Um, Another thing I wanted to quickly mention is just an email I got from Dina R. And she gave me permission to share this. And she says, uh, thanks so much. I often find myself in in moments of utter despair, feeling hopeless with my draft and thinking that there is no way I'll ever uncover the thing that my story is trying to uncover, that I'm hopelessly unqualified and will never be good enough to allow my story to reach its full potential. But then I get one of your emails in my inbox and you give me the strength I need to go on for another day. So thank you. The hardest part of revision for me is that the more I revise and the more I keep coming up with new ideas for the, oh, sorry, the more I revise, the more I keep coming up with new ideas for the plot. And I think those ideas are better than the old ideas. So I develop those ideas and then other ideas grow and the book changes completely. And then again, and it seems never ending. And then I think, wait, no, the idea had first three years ago, it was a better idea. So I go back to that idea, but then change something else and on and on. I think the story gets better at every pass, but then 10 years go by and I'm still making it better. And this way I'll never actually finish to get it and get it published and try to earn money, which is what ultimately I'd like to do. And I'd like to do it before I grow too old to think straight. Thank you for your encouragement. So Dina, I wanted to read this out loud. Um, Thank you for letting me do so, because it is such a common thing that so many of us struggle with is when we are in revision and when we get those great ideas, what do we do with them? What do we do with those old great ideas that we kind of outgrow? And then later we look back on and go, oh my God, did I outgrow it? Or did I make a wrong turn in that forest when I was doing these revisions over the course sometimes of many years? Um, And 
I wanted to just encourage you and tell you that you are normal, that this happens. There is no one clear, easy, linear way to writing a book or revising a book. It's just not linear. And we, a lot of us like to feel linearity, is that a word, um, in our lives. Linearness, must be linearness. I like to get up and I like morning to be in the morning and I like afternoon to be in the afternoon and I like evening to be in the evening. Books are not like that. Yes, books have a beginning and a middle and an end eventually, but we are the ones who impose that structure upon our books and it is confusing. So I just wanted to mention that one of the things that really helps me with revision is to kind of treat it like a first draft in that I'm always moving forward. So whatever draft I'm in, I make a decision to keep moving forward through the book. And that means that if it if I'm in the middle of the revision, I'm halfway through the book and I get a fantastic idea that would change the entire first half of the book, I pretend like I've already done that. I pretend like I've already revised the entire first half of the book to match this new idea that I have just had that I know will make my book the best book it could possibly be. And I revise forward as if I've already done that work. This does two things. Um, it allows you not to go back and get trapped in the minutia of making the book match this new idea. And the second thing it does is it gives this idea a little bit of a chance to gel. And if you get to three quarters of the book and you decide, oh, no, 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 that was a terrible idea. She did not need a twin sister. I wish I hadn't added the twin sister. If you're at the three quarter point of the book, 75% of the way through, you've only got 25% of your book now that has this brand new twin sister that perhaps you will have to remove. You didn't go back and weave this new idea of a twin sister all the way through the first half of the book and then get to the 75% mark and realize that you need to take her out. So I'm constantly doing that. I'm constantly having new ideas, putting them into practice on the page. Every time I do that, I write a post-it. I write a post-it about that idea and I stick it into a little holding area in one of my notebooks that is the first thing I look at when I go to do the next revision. I go, oh yeah, the twin sister didn't exist in that first half of the book. So I know I'm going, I like her, I want to keep her. I'm going to have to revise the book to include the twin sister. Oh, and I need to include the ruby ring and I need to take out her father's pistol. Like those things that you're trying to remind yourself of doing. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a tool I use to get through revisions faster and faster and faster. But then the question is, when are you done? When do you know that you've revised to the best of your ability and you're not going to have any more great ideas? Um, the truth is you could, and I'm not talking to you, Dina, I'm talking you, plural. We all could keep revising our books forever and we would keep having better and better ideas. And that is painful to know and to think about. There is no state at which your book will reach perfection. And there is no better idea that you could come up with. You could always make your book better forever. So you have to decide at what point you're just going to stop making it better. Stop the invention, stop the, um, the revision. I really like this idea of 80%. Um, if you Google Hank green and the 80% rule, that'll come up. There's just a lot to be said for getting something to be 80% as good as you think you can make it and then moving it to the next stage, whether that means, right, I'm ready to look for an agent now that I've got this 80% as good as I can make it right now, today, uh, or whether you're going to self-publish it. This is 
80%, as good as I can make it, I'm going to hire an editor to help me make it better. And then I'm going to hire a copy editor and do all the things. If we go for 100% all of the time, we are exhausting ourselves, and it's a fallacy. We will never get to the point where the book is 100% ready to go, ever. So I just wanted to kind of keep uh, throw that out there in case that helps anybody to hear. And I know, Dina, that it will. Your words are going to resonate with a lot of people. Um, so I think that's all I had for you today. Let me give you a little bit of an intro for Sasha, and then we'll get right into the show. Sasha Black is an author, rebel podcaster, and speaker. She has five obsessions, words, expensive shoes, conspiracy theories, self-improvement, and breaking the rules. Sasha writes books for teens and other books about the art of writing. When she's not writing, she can be found laughing inappropriately loud, sniffing musty old books, fangirling film and TV soundtracks, or thinking up new ways to break the rules. She lives in Cambridgeshire, England, with her wife and genius giant of a son. Please enjoy this interview with Sasha. Please be getting a little bit of your writing done. And please come tell me about it at some point. Okay, my friends, happy writing. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my Stop Stalling and Write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Well, hello, friend. Hey, I am beyond excited to be here. I am so excited. Will you please tell listeners your name and your pronouns? Uh, My name is Sasha Black and my pronouns are she and her. Thank you. Sasha, we have been trying to get you on the show for so, like, I think years. (laughs) I think it's been at least one year. It's been more than a year. (laughs) Yes, because I am tickled by you and everything you do. And I've been on your show and we just fell in friend love long time ago. I don't, that was, that was way more than a year ago, I think. And I listened to you friend love at, at first. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so thank you for being on the show. Wow. Thank um, you for having me. You are so you do so much. And honestly, um, I, I'm always dipping into your show and into your show that you have with Daniel. Will you tell us those names really quickly? So I run uh, as a solo host, the Rebel Author podcast, and then great. I co-host uh, Next Level Authors with Daniel Wilcox, which we were very inspired by you and Jay. So, yeah. I don't know if we've ever told, I think I've told Daniel this, but I don't think I've told you this, that Jay and I, when we, so uh, Jay Thorne and I used to have a show called The Writer's Well, which we started five years ago in a couple of weeks. We just I cried when you ended that show. I was not okay. (laughs) So we had this show called The Writer's Well. I don't even know if it's still up there. I'm not even sure if we're still paying for hosting. I haven't checked, but if it is, it's worth a listen. Um, But when you and Daniel started doing your show, we're like, yeah, this makes our exit easier. (laughs) Oh no, I was absolutely devastated. I, I think I only have like a handful of episodes that I've not listened to and I can't bring myself to because then it's over. There's nothing new anymore. And I think so I'm like holding on to these episodes when I'm really low and I just need to pick me up. 
<laughs> I think the format and you got, you all do it just absolutely brilliantly with the question and the keeping up with what you're doing. And that's kind of how I keep up with both of you. Um, and I will let you know that Jay and I are going to be recording a little uh, chat that we'll have on our fifth anniversary. I'm not sure where we'll, re- we'll probably release it on both our podcasts or the writers. Well, if it's still up, I don't know. I don't know where it'll go, but um, so we are looking forward to that. But the reason I bring all of this up it's because I'm used to having your beautiful voice in my ear and you are so prolific. Like you just get shit done. Can we please talk about how you get shit done? Well, <laughs> so this is a really good question. I'm always slightly embarrassed about it because um, I, I, I don't think I have a good answer other than the fact I'm number one competition and number two achiever. Oh my God, that ex- no, that explains everything. It's a lot, right? It is a lot. <laughs> tell <laughs> tell me what those <laughs> two words mean. Two words mean. Okay. They're from the Gallup's um, Strengths Finder assessment test that a lot of writers do with Becca Sign. Becca Sign's been on the show. You know how I feel about her. So, what is mm-hmm. having number one competition? Competition is my eight, and Achiever is my three. So, I'm. Um, Oh, I love that yeah. you have competitions to, okay. I, yeah. so when, uh, this is why we fell in friend love. <laughs> um, so number one, so com- there's a difference between competition as a strength and competitiveness. And yes. I guess a little bit eye twitchy when people confuse the two, because in day-to-day life, I don't have like small C competition, like competitiveness. Um, I'm, you know, I can, lose the game I don't like losing a game but I can lose a game you know like I can let my kid win you know all of this kind of stuff but but big C competition is very much like a driving strength and we strive to be the best and it's not always necessarily like for me with achiever at number two like it's not necessarily just about beating others it's about me being the best I can possibly be and so it's like a it's like a very burning strength it's very motivational um we have a very wide angle lens on whatever field that we are in so we often know a lot about the market um or you know the competitors or whatever and where that common phrase of comparisonitis is like the death of whatever it is that's nonsense for us because comparison for me is generative so I see somebody else doing really well and I'm like damn I want to do well too and so it motivates me rather than demotivating me which is what it does for the vast majority of people because competition is quite an unusual it's in the bottom strengths most people don't really have um that so yeah and And then the other thing that we can do oh yeah uh, well, the, the last thing that we can do is um, we're very good at cheerleaders. So like we will um, like motivate, inspire and cheerlead other people to be better as well. So that's like another thing that we do. You really, really understand this. And you've just made me understand mine a bit more because I've kind of not paid attention to it because I didn't, I didn't care too much because I knew it was a good thing for me. But it also explains why. I, I mean, I just was kind of born without the jealousy bone. Um, yeah. I, just, I just don't have it. I'm so and, and competitiveness. My, and I, I want to know how you feel about this. It might be connected to my, I'm going to just speak for myself, to my healthy ego, because when I do see someone kicking ass, um, instead of going, oh, they kicked ass first and now I can't, I'm like, I am just as good as they are. And I can do that too. 
and I can't wait yeah. to. And then I'm going to lift them up and I'm going to lift me up. And it's so great. They've shown me that it's possible. Now there's no reason for me not to do it. And yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. I see other people succeeding and I'm like, yes. let me at it. Like, I'm going to go do that now. Like, and it's not like uh, the consequence of high competition is that we beat people. Right. Yes. So that there are those negative, like societal kind of responses to competition, because there is a consequence to somebody being number one. It's that somebody else isn't number one. Right. right. But what it does is when, you know, like, so we had, I can't remember the guy who ran the first f- uh, sub four minute mile. Nobody oh, yeah. could do that before him, yeah. but then he did that. And then now other people can do that because they see what he's yeah. done and, the- and it inspires other people to do better. And so I, try to be very proud of my competition and and make other people understand it from that perspective. But yeah, it is also exhausting. (laughs) Okay. Now tell us about achiever, which is, which is, so I'm input intellection and achiever. So achiever kind of makes up for those, those first two. Tell us about your achiever and how that works. Okay. So achiever is um, more competitive with the self, um, very much likes to complete tasks. So must finish what they start loves ticking things off checklists. Sometimes I will write something on a checklist that I didn't intend to do that day just so I can pick it off. Right. I did that. I did that yesterday morning. Yes. It was a big one too. Oh, no, I'll, I'll clarify. It was something that I did on um, Sunday, but I moved it to Monday on my calendar because I hadn't written it down just so I could check it off for the week. Yes. That's dumb. That's so dumb. Yes. No, it's not. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. (laughs) And it gives you pennies. Like it gives us energy to be able to tick these things off. Um, and I suppose the only other thing about achiever is that we naturally have a larger capacity to do. And I don't know that I've got to the root cause of what what it is about achiever that that gives us this ability but generally speaking we have a larger capacity to just smash hulk smash tasks and so people you know i'm sure it's the kind of thing as a child you you get called an overachiever and they use it negatively but actually yeah. you're like killing it um and then people go you grow up and people are like how how do you do it and suddenly it becomes like wow you're such an overachiever you know um but yeah that's kind of like achiever I'm, I'm kind of dancing around all the questions I usually ask because um, I'm just so fascinated by all this. And if anyone is feeling a little bit out of their depth with these words, please go listen to the Becca Syme episode. And um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So she's changed I, my life. She has changed my life. I mm-hmm. literally took a phone call from somebody at RWNZ last night who I had been speaking to at a meeting. She's like, tell me more about Becca Syme. And I was like, I will proselytize. Here is my phone number. <laughs> please call me. I'm an acolyte at the altar of Becca Sides. Yes. yes. Um, so I want to know, sorry, let's geek out. I want to know what your, what, how do you hold all of it in your head? Um, what kind of productivity management tools do you use? So this is really interesting. Um, I, I chop and change. So I have strategic and number three, and we are notorious for pivoting. So I'm number four strategic. Yeah, baby. Pivot, pivot, pivot. And strategic, uh let's say for people, it means that our brain is always running in the background. So it's almost counterintuitive. It means we're highly intuitive because our brain is working for us and it just tells us what to do next. 
Yeah. So strategic likes to know where the end is and wants to find the best path to get yeah. to that end. And subconsciously, we will often discount a lot of paths and options. And uh, and but, and but so we jump to that end conclusion very quickly. And people can be like, but I don't I'm still on A, B and C, whereas we jump to Z. Um, it's, my, it's my wife's least favorite quality. <laughs> honest. Serious, honest to God. <laughs> I love strategic. Um, so I, I mean, I do use like planners and stuff, but you know, I, I have accepted about myself that I chop and change planners two to four times a year. Yes. Um, and I, so what doesn't work for me is saying, okay, well, I'm going to do um, this goal and this goal and this goal, and I'm going to do it in this quarter, that quarter and the other quarter. Yep. Um, and the reason for that is because I need a really big why for why I'm doing something. What's the impact I'm going to have? Why is this important, this work? And then um, my competition head kind of like clicks on and I just go. And it's like top, 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 top until I, until I get it done. So I do like on a weekly basis, I will say, okay, what is it I need to do for this category of work? Marketing, writing, podcast, creation, you know, so on and so forth. And then I break it down by day just so that I don't lose my mind because I also have a small child but generally speaking like you know how people plan out their whole year I just can't do that like I have to pick the next project make sure I have a solid reason why I'm doing it and then I just like go um which frustrates me a little bit because I wish I could plan um you know I wish I could say I'm definitely gonna do this this year and that this year and I just just can't I just can't do that I just doesn't work so I don't at the, at the same RWNZ meeting that I was at the other day, we were going around doing our goals for the year. And by the time it got to me, I was like, I cannot say that I'm going to write X number of books or do this and this and this. I just said, write a lot. And that was fine for me. But I will also admit that yesterday I bought the HP 90 course, which I've never done before. Mm. But um, Sarah Cannon has been a little bit beat up on if you've been following any of that drama. I have and seen. I just wanted to support to her support. and give her my money. But I would love to. I'm always going to run toward this idea of I can plan out every quarter for 2022, but I, I will fail. Exactly. Me too. So this morning I did something completely different. I'm trying something oh, different for next year and I am writing my goals. I hate the word goals. The things that I want to do by yep. strength. So I have oh, some competition it. goals. I know, right? I know. I, because then I know which ones are going to give me energy pennies, right? Yes. It's it's seriously. So I have my competition goals. I have my significant goals. Those are the ones that are meaningful and I'm going to do something and help people and it's going to have impact and it's going to be amazing. And then I have like my publishing and business goals, which are achiever focused. Bam, 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 bam. Let's get this done. And then I have like my input and learner goals. Uh, so that's all the stuff I'm going to get better at. I'm going to learn. I'm going to take a course or whatever. And then I have the number goals, which is like a big like menagerie of, of strengths in there. So yeah, like, and that felt really good as well. Oh, I am going to try that. I'm going to try combining that with HP 90 and then probably fail at both and be fine with it. One of yes. the, um, one of the biggest <laughs> things I've ever learned from the Clifton strengths. And I think it was Ellie who kind of explained this to me was that with my, and I'm forgetting which goals combined to do this, but I am a planner to my bones and I, and I get all my energy from planning and I get almost no energy pennies from actually carrying out the plans. And I do not mind saying, well, that went, that went to hell. I don't care. I will move the goal. Strategic. Post, I will do something. It is the strategic, right? I don't, mm-hmm, I, I, feel I don't that. care. Yes. <laughs> I don't and, care. And, also. <laughs> and I used to try to prevent myself from planning 
because it wasn't useful to me. And now I've realized, oh, I can go down the HB90 rabbit hole. I can spend a day thinking about all the this delicious stuff. And uh, HB90 is a planner put on by Sarah Cannon, if anyone is wondering that. Um, and it's a pr- particular two writers. Um, it uses the Kanban method, which I diligently several times have put up the Kanban board in my office do all the beautiful post-its, do all the things, and then never, ever move a post-it once. But it looks pretty. Oh my gosh. It really does. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So tell me what is the biggest challenge for you when it comes to writing? I think uh, mindset. And I want to say that writing gets easier. And I think like the mechanics of getting, like just being able to do words, it is a muscle. So it does get better. But that fight internally in your own brain, I don't think it ever goes away. It changes and, and iterates and morphs, but it doesn't really ever go away. Yeah. And um, so often I am finding myself going, I didn't know I could do that. And like, I am discovering, you know, like um, I did, did what Ellie calls a Phoenix burn. Um, and so you, it's like the opposite of being consistent. So instead of like writing a little bit every day and just going, uh, I just was like, no, I am not going to do that because that is not how I work. So I just time constraint went bananas, wrote a bazillion words in a really short space of time and then like collapsed. And it was amazing. And I beat all of my personal records based on a a day's work, a week's work, edited words, like everything. And it was amazing. And I'm like, I'm going to repeat that. So, but (laughs) it's mindset, right? Because I didn't know that I was capable of doing that many words in a day. And so I had these self-limiting, oh, well, I can only write 3,000 words a day or 2,000 words a day or whatever. What did you hit? Were you, do you mind sharing your numbers? Six or are you? and a half thousand words. Six and a half thousand in one mm-hmm. day. In one day. And it wasn't even hard. And what? I was like, I don't understand. How was that not hard? And this is what I mean by like mindset. And it's, and I think it was the competition. I just, I had a deadline. It was public. I was not going to lose, right? I was going to do anything. I would have crawled on my hands and broken feet and fingernails to win this challenge in public. And and I did. And like, honestly, I did have to get into bed to, because I had a, like a migraine. Well, I didn't get the migraine. I prevented it, but like, you know, when you know it's coming on. And, uh, you know, so that's the bad side of competition because we will hospitalize ourselves in order to win. <laughs> oh, oh I, so many times. So many times. Right. Yes. Yes. But it's mindset. Being able to prove to myself over and over again that I am capable, that I can do it, that mm. I need to stop with this self-limiting talk because anything is possible keep wanting to leave our interview to go do things like before we started recording I had to go build a bookcase now goodbye um right now I need to go you know write six and a half thousand words not to beat you but to but now I know that I could and that it would be easy oh okay what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing oh I'm so so I just I'm a literary (laughs) orgasm (laughs) so so you know Oh, tell me more. Okay. <laughs> is there foreplay? I mean, <laughs> well, the foreplay isn't that great, <laughs> but the orgasm is fantastic. So, you know, you know how like you're writing and sometimes you'll just be in the flow and it will be amazing and the words are coming. And then like sometimes it stops or like you'll go away and you'll be driving or like you'll be in the kitchen and all of a sudden you get this moment and you're like, <sighs> And you have to like grip 
the side, the counter, yes. because you're like, O-M-G, this twist, this plot, you know, subplot this. Oh my God, yes. I didn't know that those characters were connected. Like, oh, it's like knee crippling. Like I'm sometimes, <laughs> you know, bent over like, oh, she didn't. <laughs> you know yes and, I and know so I call so it well yeah and it's a literary orgasm there is no other way to describe there, this moment I can believe people don't say that we are all going to describe <laughs> this to you now and it's what we're going to call it from now on because there's no other word for that and it is the pinnacle moment of writing it's like the cascading like tingles that come down from your brain like there is no other way to it it was preordained and it was going to happen and then it did and it felt just as good as it felt better than anything else it's like when you find now we're going too far but like when you when (laughs) when you like I'm just gonna say it when I met my wife I was like I had had good sex my whole life great sex great sex but then I was like I have been wasting my time up until now (laughs) yeah great sex because this is (laughs) That's what a literary orgasm is like. Oh Mm -hmm. my, somebody just drove off the road listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) It's like your book's G-spot, right? Like that's that's the. (laughs) I don't think I've ever made that noise on the podcast. (laughs) I'm sorry, I will stop. I'm sorry for the volume control on this. If you're looking at me on the podcast, I'm like crying a bright red. (laughs) But it is, it is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Mm -hmm. okay, we're going to, I could go, going with this, but I'm going to go into prosaic land now. And maybe it's not prosaic coming from you. Um, Can you share a craft tip of any sort? Can you tell us how to get there? <laughs> okay, so I, I have some notes and I have a couple of quotes because I was like, oh, oh this excellent. is one of my favorite things. So the whole purpose of like metaphors and similes and descriptions is to make difficult or complex concepts both relatable and almost like feelable. Like you want your readers to be able to feel these difficult concepts. And one thing that I love when writers do um, is when they t- when to do this and to, scri- to describe these concepts... <laughs> I'm still, I need to calm myself down. Um, like is, so proud of you, how, how cool and collected you are. Okay, go on. So how do, how do people do this? They often turn something intangible into something tangible. And so yeah. by intangible, that's the complex concept. So like time or love or hope or kindness or loss or grief. Um, and what they do is they connect it to something very, very tangible that we all know and have, have experienced. So um, a couple of examples, both quotes are from The Invisible Life of Adi LaRue by V.E. Mm, Schwab. Yes. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And there will be a moment, brief as a yawn, where she won't know where she is. So she compares a moment oh. to a yawn, right? Isn't that so beautiful? A oh, moment, you can't so really... Good. You can't capture a moment like what is a moment but when you put it into a yawn which is something that we all know and we've all yeah. experienced we know exactly how long she has like given us that tangible sensation and an idea and uh, understanding of what she means and then there's another one so the, the last quote is she lies there perfectly still tries to hold time like a breath in her chest oh <gasps> i know 
I know. Like, do you do the same thing that I do? I highlight them in my Kindle just because I'm so impressed by them. And I want my brain to kind of wrap around how they did it so that I could do something similar to it in the future. Do you do that? I teach masterclasses on it. So I, um, I have, I, there's a right here for, I will describe for listeners, but um, I have a methodology. And so each color coded tab relates to like either narration or tools or dialogue or whatever. And I read a book every three months with my patrons and then I will deconstruct what they've, what the author has done. Um, and yeah, so that they can then use those tools in their own work. So yes. Why am I not your patron? <laughs> I am. Oh, please tell us where I, 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 it's one of those things like, I'm not, I'm not Joanna Penn's patron either. I always forget to go over there. Cause I'm always listening when I'm out. Tell us where your patron is. Pa- patron uh, is. Patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that is okay. Sasha with a C. So S-A-C-H-A and then the color okay. black. Perfect. That is so, so cool. And I also want to go into your um, craft books before we get out of here too. So um, tell us more about how you would use this yourself. How, how would you go about thinking about this? Um, what in terms of the deconstruction or how I would then no. put that into my own work? Sorry, how you would put that into your own work. So I suppose whenever there is a moment, like let's say um, something's really important. And so um, the protagonist thinks it's important and therefore I want the reader to know it's important. That's a good time to slow down your writing. Mm. And one of the ways to slow down your writing is to use these methods. So you put in more um, metaphors, more similes, you put in more luscious description. Maybe you want to play with commas and make something rhythmic and, you know, you can use like that kind of like three, two, three or whatever, like in terms of words and, and, and analogies that you're putting in. So yeah, when it's emotional, when you want to slow down because either like maybe you're foreshadowing in a, in a kind of subtle way or perhaps when um, you want to show characterization. So like the way that this particular character describes, um, so she's saying uh, about time, no other character would describe in that way because that's mm. not necessarily her personality. This mm. character uses time because she's been alive for 300 years. So it reflects her personality as, you know, it tells you something about that character. So that would be another way. I would really be very conscious of picking intangible and tangible things that related to the character's personality and showed the reader something about them as well. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense because when you do that, the reader accepts it a whole. It does not slow them down. It moves them. But if you had related something about her, if if this, you know, if she had related this particular character, um, something about a, a boat and she has not been living on a boat, the reader will be jarred, even if they don't mm-hmm. really know why it mm-hmm. can stop. It doesn't have to stop them, but it can stop them. So let me ask a little bit about your process. Um, because for me, this is the kind of thing that I layer in later in revision. When do you do it? Mostly revision, yeah. I would say, um, unless something really strikes me, uh, you know, like literary orgasm, um, you know, <laughs> unless, it, unless it really pops to me. So yeah. I'm trying very much to skeleton draft. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I will, uh, everybody skeleton drafts in a different way and that's okay. For me, it's very much about plot and uh, on that first run through. So I may even have like bullet points, describe the way she smells like the ocean, you know, that's or whatever. what I do. Like, that's exactly points. what I do. 
I do. I do plot skeleton plus quite a bit of dialogue. The dialogue yes. holds up the plot skeleton kind of yes. for, for me. But yeah. again, every there's no way to skeleton. But what yeah. we mean by skeleton is by going. We mean going very, very, very fast through your yeah, book. and yeah. and telling you tell yourself yes. the plot. Yeah, yes. and that's okay. And then you know, so like sometimes I am literally like Sasha. This is what happens in this scene, and this character goes from here to here to here. But like if I don't connect the the plot scenes and the action that happens I can't weave the symbolism and the characterization and all the rest of it so I I have to do that first and and like you say I dialogue is is the other heavy thing that goes in that then I tend to look at description and character and then I it's those last bits of foreshadowing and symbolism that then tends to go in on the last draft oh that's my favorite part oh okay but that is wonderful um what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way the amount I input. So I was very yes. surprised. You said it was COVID. number four? Nine for no. me. Oh, nine. nine. Okay. Nine. But I have learner at four and they oh, can often yeah. require yeah. similar things. Yeah. And because they're both in my top 10, they kind of augment each other. So yeah, like in COVID, uh, obviously we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. I couldn't see anything. And um, I'm one of these people that will book like strange and random trips to underground, abandoned underground train stations or to cemeteries or, you know, like strange museum, surgeon museums and stuff just because like it's weird and creepy and visually amazing. And um, all of that stopped. And I it was hard to harder to write. And then I obviously learned about strengths and. So one of the things that I did uh, because I knew I needed input was I doubled the amount that I read. So um, I, I've read over 100 books this year. And in the very first month in which I was doubling my reading, my word count output increased by 30%. I have heard you talk about this with Daniel. That is absolutely gobsmacking. It isn't is. Isn't it? You didn't, other- you didn't see that coming. <laughs> Not, I was like, all I'm doing is reading a few more books. Like, no, it was a real tangible (gasps) impact. And the other thing that I have to do quite a lot, I have quite a lot of like coffee table books with pictures and stuff because um, I feel very deprived of like culture um, and location. And uh, like, I'm very scenery like location based. And so I'm trying to, you know, have expensive coffee table books because they are expensive, but but they give me pictures and things and Pinterest. Um, So yeah, I've been very surprised at how much like visual stimulus and just consumption and TV doesn't work for me. Mm, Like TV does not do the same thing. Um, So yeah, I have to read, like literally have to. Oh, I love that so much. I, uh, I did an experiment three years ago or so. And it's still the book I'm revising that I need to finally finish. It's what I'm working on right now. But I did this year long challenge where I did something creative. I focused on something creative every month of the year. And the first month that I did it, it was reading. And I allowed myself to do nothing but read. Like there was no television. There was no social media whatsoever. There was very little email as much as I could get away with and just reading. And I felt, and I had the same thing happen to me. Um, And my brain just went, it just got so happy. So mm-hmm. I kind of love this idea. I might steal this idea of doubling because I always try to read um, at least a book a week. That's always mm-hmm. my reading goal, that- but I blew that out of the water this this year because of just things. But I would love to try to hit a hundred. That's a great yeah. number. 
Yeah. So that's, that was my goal this year. And I do it on Goodreads because you can see yeah, like a competition. I like to see whether yep. I'm on pace or not, right? It's the numbers, you need the numbers. And I don't even <laughs> like numbers, but I like tracking and data. <laughs> And you and the competition tells you that you're winning. You're winning at this game. I don't care. Yeah, like exactly. you said, I don't care about other games. I, I'm not competitive that way. But with the games for myself, I want to win. I want to beat myself. Well, that's the thing. We choose our we choose our field. Yeah. We choose the game we compete in. Uh, something else you um, said reminded me of something my friend Marcella did, who's a who's also a Becca Syme disciple. But she looked at her top ten and made sure that in her ideal day. No one has an ideal day, but in an ideal day, all of them were getting fed in some way. Mm. So kind of like you're talking about feeding the goals, also bringing that into the day. And that has reminded me that, you know, for my input, I've got, it's my number one. And it was the one thing I wasn't serving because I was so busy writing and doing the job and seeing the friends and, and I would feel guilty when I was doing the input and I can't, it's my number one. It has to be fed. It is now, um, what's that word when it's, there's no, um, like it is an absolute must. I can't think of the word, but it's, um, non-negotiable. Yes. Thank you. It's non-negotiable now for me. If I want to write, you know, uh, if I want to write one more book next year than I did this year, then it is non-negotiable because (sighs) I will not be able to do that unless I feed my brain. Like it's like, if you want to drive an extra hundred miles, you've got to put the petrol in the car. Yes. Right? You can't do no the extra hundred miles. With that. Right. <laughs> I know, exactly. So, yeah. Well, that is brilliant. Thank you. What is the best book that you've read recently and why did you love it? So this, it's a, it's a toss up, but I think I'm going to go with my gut. So I am okay. going to say One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Oh, it's so I'm- gay. Yay. I, what did, what did I read by them? Red, white, and Royal the big, I read red, red, white. And yeah, I, that's the one I read, which I really liked. <clears throat> I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say I loved, but I liked it very so, much. One last stop is quite different. I haven't okay. read red, white and Royal blue, but I do know um, that it is very different because I've heard people talking about it. Um, one last stop is a romance, a lesbian romance, and it's set in contemporary New York uh on a like with a train and there's time travel and it just sounds like it doesn't work but it's amazing and what I love that they did was um uh uh, I'm all my sticky tabs were characterization like so quirky characters such attention to detail with the characters they all had these unique things about them and I know that's kind of on trend to have like quirky characters and stuff but these really were always on trend like oh it's so amazing like so much detail and so real and yeah I just oh I loved it I loved the love I loved the story I loved the quirky it just filled me with joy so I'm finishing a Courtney Milan book today and I was and I and I have like 70 5,000 nonfiction books I want to read and I needed something to grab me. So I'm just going to one, one click that today. And I need, I need exactly that. All right. Now I would like you to talk about yourself. I want you to tell us all the things, what you write fiction, what you write nonfiction again with the podcast, all of the things, but especially let's start, let's start out with the, um, the craft books that you write. Okay. So I write, um, cheeky sarcastic sweary craft books my aim is to make you laugh whilst you're learning um there are uh, <clears throat> dick jokes and things in them um because shocking. why not shocking i know shocking right hey rebel queen over here um so yeah i have one on prose one on side characters one on heroes and one on villains the villains was the first one that's kind of what people know me for 
Um, yeah, so if you if you have a dark sense of humour and you don't mind sort of naughtiness and swearing and things, then then I think you will like my craft books. And they are um, called? Oh, yes. So the Anatomy <laughs> of Prose. Sorry. <laughs> Useless marketer over here. We could talk about craft for days. Forget marketing. Uh, the Anatomy of Prose. Uh, eight steps to side characters. Ten steps to hero. And 13 steps to evil. <laughs> I love the titles. I absolutely love them. Okay, tell us about your fiction. So um, I am going to not tell you about my fiction. I'm going to tell you what I am doing next year. Instead, I am moving into, so I write young adult. Uh, I will probably always write young adult. And um, I, well, okay. So I currently have a fantasy, uh, what is a trilogy with an extra novella. (laughs) It's a a quadrilogy of three. Um, (laughs) And... Uh, but next year, I am going to be writing lesbian, young adult books, romance, contemporary, first love, falling in love, realizing you're gay, like all that oh. stuff, all of the amazingness that is, uh, yeah, being being a teenager and being in love and not your love not looking like everybody else's love. So that is what I'm going Sign to be publishing me. next year. Oh. <laughs> Sign me the hell up. Okay. And um, where, okay. Tell us about the podcast again, because people want that. There's Rebel Author Podcast, which you can get on all your usual podcatchers or next level authors. And uh, if you want to find me socially, then um, Instagram is probably the best, which is at Sasha Black Author. And I am going to immediately hang up with you and then go follow you uh, at patreon.com slash Sasha Black, S-A-C-H-A, because I want to get in on the the book (laughs) breaking down from you. Oh my gosh, Sasha, it is such an absolute treat to talk to you, my friend. I have been looking forward to this so, so, so much and you did not disappoint. I'm going to have to go out and and tell Lala (laughs) why I was howling in here (laughs) when I told her that I was on a podcast. Well, I honestly have listened to you for so long and yeah, I, you know, I, I knew all the questions and I have known probably for a, at least 18 months to two years that one of my answers was going to be literary orgasms because <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate it. <laughs> so I am just so <laughs> delighted that I finally got to talk to you about orgasms. <laughs> you think I could put it in the show title? Because I want to. Yes. Yeah, it's not a dirty word. Okay, no. that's what we're that's what we're doing. It's going to be the most downloaded show of mine <laughs> ever, guaranteed. Everybody Thank needs you. a bookgasm. Come on, guys! Exactly. Like this is where we end. <laughs> Thank you so 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 much, Sasha. I really appreciate Thank you, you. For having me. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write. You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>